I realize a lot of times people are confused about faith. Both those on the outside of our faith and those that are on the inside of our faith, they're very confused about faith because what they believe, at least the way that they present it to me, the way that they, what they believe is, they believe that faith is about wishing something and wish that it'll happen so hard and that if you wish it, it will happen and that's called faith. And understand, folks, if you wish a lot, you're going to get some of them come true. Just the way it is. So it's like making predictions. You know, if you make enough predictions, you're eventually going to be right. I mean, you, you realize, I watch these things, uh, especially on YouTube, and they'll make a big deal about Nostradamus and about all that he predicted. Do you realize that he predicted incredible number of quatrains which are interpreted very vaguely so that they might fit into a number of situations. We don't know that he ever knew anything that was going to happen, but the people who are putting out that documentary or are writing that book, they don't tell you about that, do they? They don't tell you about the number of things that he's written and how vague they are. So when you have your many wishes and they do come true, unfortunately, so often we confuse you in church because what we do is we say this person said, I had faith that this was going to happen. And we're wondering, where did that faith come from in the first place? Where was that faith? And then we we promote them and parade them from front of the church as if all of their wishes could come true. Now, wouldn't you rather have a faith that would draw you closer to the Lord? Wouldn't you really rather have that kind of faith? A faith that would bring you joy rather than just moments of happiness? You see, I must give you a background to truly know how faith is and how it works. I'm going to read mostly out of Hebrews today. It says in Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of of things not seen. So what does it say? It says that faith is a hoped for certainty. Now where does that faith come from? A hope doesn't come from a wish, does it? It has no basis of certainty if we just have wishes that are out there. Now it can come from the scripture, but we've got to understand how do you interpret scripture? Now this is the worth the price of admission today, just to understand how you uh, need to interpret scripture. Interpreting scripture must be consistent in the context of the verses around it. I want to say that up front because, I want, you know, a lot of people are taking out a verse or even, a, I've even heard preachers preach on a word that's in the middle of the verse that has nothing to do with the verse around it. And I want to say that's not what that scripture ever intended to say and it's not what it's saying right now. It is interpreting scripture must be consistent with the whole of the Bible. When you read something and you say, well, for example, that uh, scripture that says that a deacon must be a one-woman man, if you interpret it as the man must be married, that the, it, must be a, uh, it, it must be a man, for example, but it must be a married man, it can't be a single man, it can't be a, di- a divorced man, cannot be a widowed man, and cannot be a man who has remarried after his wife has passed away. There is no place in scripture that will support that. So you know that that's not the right interpretation. You can't go that direction. Interpreting scripture must be consistent with the culture in which the Bible was written. You understand, we understand the story of the woman at the well that comes in the middle of the day to get water. 
because we understand her her being left out with the other women. The other women would be laughing at her because of her lifestyle. And we understand the culture of that. And so we understand what was going on in that. So you have to have the culture there. And then interpreting Scripture must be consistent with the practices of those who wrote the Scripture. Going back to that that Scripture I just uh, mentioned a moment ago about the the one-woman man. If, if, If it had to be a man... Then why was it that Phoebe was presented as a deacon in Romans chapter 16? Did Paul forget what he said? Is that what happened? No, the practices is there. You've got to look and say, well, how did they do it? If they did it that way, then it affects how we end up uh, understanding the scripture. So when we look at this chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, we find that it, their people are noted for their faith. They're noted for their faith because of their obedience to what God had told them to do. These people come to God because of their faith in him and they respond in obedience. Let's go down to verse 6 and read that one. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. Understand what it's saying here. Seeking God requires obedience before he gives the commands. See, what you have to do is, is unlike so many people, they think that, well, you know, if the preacher really moves me today, and God speaks to me today, I might do what he says. I'm going to make that decision when the time comes. But the reality is, is that you say yes to God before he commands you. You do not make his commands optional in any way. So the Lord, here it is, we find the joy of the Lord in this. Because the joy of the Lord is found in his presence. And we don't find his presence by being disobedient to him. It says in Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the way of life. I'm going to follow in this way of life that you have for me. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So that a joy in the Lord is only going to be found with a walk with the Lord. This walk can only be found in obedience. Now when Saul failed to obey the, uh, the Lord, Samuel came to rebuke him. And, and Saul thought, I have obeyed the Lord. Here's what happened. First Samuel chapter 15, 23. For rebellion is as reprehensible as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. Since you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What happened here? Saul didn't eliminate the Amalekites and all that they had as the Lord had commanded him. He said he kept back the best of their cattle and and their spoil of the battle so that he could have sacrifice to the Lord because of that. You see what happened with Saul was he almost obeyed the Lord. You understand? And almost obeying the Lord is disobedience. Being plain with you about this. And he justified himself and he said, but I did obey the Lord. No, he didn't. He, he justified himself in this. You will not have the true joy of the Lord if you do not have obedience. That's the way it is. The joy of the Lord is found in true obedience. And these pillars of the faith are found in chapter 11. They understood this. They would sacrifice everything they had for the the joy found in God's presence. Let's go to verse 36. 
It says, and others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They, uh, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, on mountains, and sheltering in caves, and in and holes in the ground. You understand what's going on with these people? See what's going on? See, you may need to go through something that might be a little bit painful or maybe greatly painful in order for you to have the obedience, but also to have that true joy in the Lord. Most of the people who say they follow the Lord don't ever have the true joy because they almost, they almost obey the Lord. Saul almost obeyed the Lord. Too many people are trading in true joy in the Lord's presence for mere happiness. That's what they get. The heroes of our faith did not uh, receive that which was promised to them. Let's go to verse 39. And 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. See, they had God's approval and they had the joy of the Lord. But obedience is more than a sacrifice, obedience has a purpose in it. That word translated perfect means to be brought to completion. Each of these heroes of faith were working for a city that was being built by God, which was Jesus himself is what they were looking for. They prepared the way for the Messiah. They were the, like the farmer who plows and plants. And they're waiting for the rain and waiting for the harvest. This is what they were like. Now think, if you were a farmer and you plowed and planted and it rained, wouldn't you want to see the harvest? Do you understand what these heroes of the faith were waiting for? This is what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus the originator and the perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See what happened here. See, you may go through something painful. Jesus went through something painful. But many of these people of the faith that we have here, and you realize in that chapter 11, they talk about Noah. Noah who would build a boat for a hundred years before it would start raining. And that number of them is Abraham. Abraham who would set off from his most familiar place and go to a place that he didn't even know where he was going until he got there because the Lord would tell him, you're you're at the right place. And there's Sarah that's mentioned there. She would conceive at a time when you couldn't have babies at that time. Do you understand the age that she had? Let's give us the, the chapter 11 gives us some of the examples of those that have called to go to work for a long time like Noah did and not see the results of it. They, are, they give us an example of those that might have to set out not knowing where they're going to end up. 
but they go because the Lord has told them. It's, they, they give us an example of something that was absolutely impossible. It's impossible for a woman to have a child at that age. And we see that when you're in the Lord's hands and you obey the Lord, you see what happens out of this. These witnesses give us some examples of what we might expect. These witnesses also witness what we do. They have done what we are called to do today. They are the home field advantage that gives us, that we go to work in. Understand, they're for us, those cloud of witnesses. They're not against us. Now, we have this cloud of witnesses. And they're not sitting in heaven just looking at us. That would be a waste of their time. See, when I am with the risen Lord, don't expect me to come and watch what you're doing. Do you understand? I'm not going to do that. But they seek the reaping of what they had done. See, they see the people coming into heaven. Do you understand? They are there and they see it happen. Now understand, there is a number of people who will come to the Lord. When I was young, a uh, teenager, I bailed hay commercially. In other words, we would go from field to field to field to field, and we'd bail farmer's hay. That's what we did. And I remember one of the times we went into this field, and this guy, has, he also had a huge field of tomatoes. And I went out there, and I got some tomatoes. They were right, right there on the vine, and I ate them as if they were apples, if you can imagine. I ate so many of those things, I got sick. And let me tell you, I couldn't stand tomatoes for the longest period of time after that. You get sick on them once. So why was it okay for me to go out there and take that farmer's tomatoes? Because he had told us the harvest was finished. Whatever we wanted that was still left out there, we could have. It wasn't even worth his time to go out there and get the rest of them. And there were plenty of them out there. And so what I'm trying to say is each one that needs to come to the Lord needs to come to the Lord first before Jesus is coming. He's coming that, that are going to come before he, he uh, comes. That They all have to come to the Lord. This is our joy. This is our responsibility. But 95% of us have never led one person to the Lord. 95% of us, and that must end. We know that the joy, we know rather, the joy of the Lord through completing the race that is set before us. See, each of us has the same goal, but we have different ways of accomplishing that goal. We are to make disciples. Now, some need to come to know the Lord before they can become disciples. And then they become disciples and we teach them and work on this. And we will lose the joy of the Lord if we fail to do what we are called to do. See, when coming, see, when we see people coming to know the Lord, and that doesn't, isn't important to us anymore. Or when we see baptisms, and it's just something that takes up time in the worship service. So I will tell you right now, you have already lost the joy of the Lord. You've already lost it. So we, what we need to do is, therefore, we throw off every impediment, everything. The runner would take off all things that would weigh him down. In fact, at that time, runners ran naked. That is how they managed to get all of the impediments off, all of the weight that is there. It's like cyclists, you know, 
since I, I ride a bicycle and such and around some cyclists, you know some people will pay an extra thousand dollars for a bike just because they want to get a few ounces off the, the weight of that bike. They'll pay an extra thousand. I always say to them, why don't you just lose a few ounces on your, on your body and that would do it. But that's not what they do. So they want, they want to take, throw off every weight that is there. And that which weighs us down are the characteristics we're using to excuse our lack of obedience. Maybe we are shy. And we say, I'm just not good at that because I'm shy. Maybe we think our voices are too high or too low. Maybe we don't have the self-confidence in sharing our faith. You see, all of the evangelism programs that I've ever been a part of, they worked at trying to take away the fear that we have in sharing our faith. I think that faith is obedience when we're afraid, not when we're not afraid. It is when we're afraid that, it's a, that faith comes about. See, faith and obedience is when we, we don't have the self-confidence, but we do it anyway. Faith is obedience when there are things that are weighing us down and we get rid of them. We get rid of them. We throw off the sin that easily entangles us. The word sin is singular. It may be a category sin. It may be a particular sin. It may be one of those sins, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And maybe one of them has given you fits. And what you say is that you, you admit, I've got this problem. I ask for deliverance from this, Lord, so I can throw it off. For sin will eliminate you from the race. See, there are rules for races. You know that, I'm sure. One of those rules is you can't leave early. You know that. You can't leave early. Uh, you cannot trip the other uh, runners intentionally. That's a rule for the race. And you can't get out of your lane if that is the rule for that race. You see, when I ran way back in high school, if you took off early, they called it a scratch. You know, you realize they don't allow that anymore. In 2009, the uh, NCAA athletes are immediately eliminated after one time taking off early. One time. You're eliminated. And why would you be eliminated? Well, you can't speak of the joy of the Lord if you don't have it. If you don't have the joy of the Lord, how are you going to be able to tell somebody about Jesus? You don't have it. Uh, You lose your testimony before those whom you're witnessing when you do that. And why should you, if you tell them about Jesus and you don't have the joy of the Lord, why should they want to trust in Jesus if it's only going to leave them like you are? It's got to be something greater than that. See, we know the joy of the Lord as we fix our eyes on Jesus. The tru- the, this is truly the only way to have obedience and faith. For Jesus is the originator of our faith. He's the one who's going to call the shots. The foundational moment of our faith is found in the resurrection. Recognize that. We talk about that less. It is the moment that death has relented its control over us. It is the moment that we know a risen Lord and not simply a crucified Lord. And the great cloud of witnesses look forward to that moment. The great, they, uh, we stand on this moment as the foundation of our faith. We look back at the resurrection. They looked forward to the resurrection. And we keep our eyes on that moment as we move forward. Jesus saw beyond the cross. You've got to be able to see beyond what you're going through in order to obey the Lord. 
to get to the point where you know that there's something on the other side of that. And you see the joy that is set before Jesus in this. You see the joy that is set before us in this. So you see beyond and you endure. And we see Jesus. And through him we know the joy that awaits us. For Jesus completes our faith. He's not just the originator, but he's the completer of our faith. Philippians 1.6 says, For I'm confident this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. We mature and we grow in the faith. It has, it has completion in it. You see, you ever heard God will not give you more than you can handle? That's not true. That's not true. God will give you more than you can handle, but he will not give you more that he and you can't handle. Do you understand? It's not about just you standing on your own and thinking, I got this. I'm going to get this because you're not going to be able to do it. The example of that, one of those things is Peter, who would ask for a command from Jesus before he would get out of the boat. Do you, how did he do when he was trying to do it on his own? What happened to him when he was trying to do it on his own? He took a couple of steps when he had his eyes on Jesus, but when he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened to him? He sunk. I can tell you right now the devil wants you to take your eyes off of Jesus. I can tell you right now that he wants you to sink in the water. He wants you to make the decision that you will never do that again. You do this thing that might have been painful. I'm never going to do that again. But the path of Jesus and to Jesus means we have to have our eyes on Jesus. And we, you know, honestly, folks, we can't see their difficulties as barriers. We see them as means of completing who Jesus wants us to be. This morning in my quiet time, my quiet time this morning, I read the verse about uh, when Paul said, it is when I am weak, I am strong. Understand, when I'm weak, when I'm strong. When I have those things that are barriers before me, what I find is, is that they are, um, they force me to go to the Lord and say, I can't do it. I don't have the strength, Lord, but you have the strength to put inside of me to do what I need to do. And then we get a testimony. A testimony is a story of the Lord changing your life. See, it doesn't tell how easy it is to follow the Lord. It tells the necessity of walking with the Lord through the most difficult times to see the Lord. It tells us of how we had to put our eyes on Jesus and fix them on him. I want to ask you folks, do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you have the joy? Let's be honest with yourself. Do you have the joy of the Lord? Are your eyes fixed on him? Are you completely obedient? Or you're saying, I'm almost obedient to the Lord like Saul did. Are you honestly and humbly walking with him? But you will never have the joy of the Lord unless you do. You can have that right now. Pray with me, please.